0: Listener Production. Go. Uh, Hello and welcome to Will with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson Uh, from the title of the podcast and this is how the show starts. It's pretty simple. I ask my guests who they are. So who are you?
1: My name is Jimmy Pardo. That's you it. want more? You want to really. Uh, oh, wh- what I do or just my name? You, well, what do you want? You, uh, I'm a comedian. And I, 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 yeah, that's me.
0: Hi. Do you know what I honestly want, Jimmy? I what? want the, the breakdown that everybody has exactly as you did right then in that moment. That's all I want. I want people to answer it simply, then because they're comedians, absolutely get in their own mind about did I do the right thing? Is that what I was meant to say? Am I meant to provide more information? Should I define myself through my job or who I actually am? It didn't help <laughs> that you just stared at me. That did yeah, not help me in any the way. It helps.
1: The Joel belt hat, up. right? Okay. Well, it worked. Well, your, your little mind tricks are working already.
0: <laughs> um, thank you so much for doing this show, Jimmy. This is my, this will seem like a very small number of episodes of a podcast to you, but this show was actually a side project of my other podcast, and it's grown to, this is the 300th episode that we are doing today. And they asked me who would I like to have on for the 300th episode? And I um, thought first and foremost of Jimmy Pardo and so I'm going to embarrass you what? a bit up the front first and then we can get into the meat and bones of the podcast but okay. uh, during the pandemic do you remember that the global pandemic happened it happened everywhere they, you got you, yeah. you guys got it in America too right.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if we handle it as well mm. as other countries did, but we uh, we certainly uh, had one.
0: Oh, Jimmy, seriously. Like, I lived on and off for 10 years in the U.S., and my medical plan in the U.S. was wherever I am and whatever has just happened to me, you take me to the airport. If you take me anywhere near a hospital, you are doing the wrong thing. Fly me to Australia, back to free health care. Wow. That was my plan, right? Like Good
1: plan. It was a, did anything go wrong? no.
0: But then the pandemic happened and I haven't been back because I don't trust what's been going on over there. I read the papers. Well,
1: you know, in fairness Mm. to, you know, once Joe Biden got in office, things started uh, Mm. straightening out and getting right. It was the previous administration that denied it was happening while it was (laughs) happening. And uh, also the the moron just was like, don't wear masks. If he if he would have just said, hey, let's all be American and we're going to get through this together. Let's all wear a mask. And then we'll end this thing. And he would have, people would have rallied behind him. Everybody would have worn a mask and we would have been out of it a lot quicker. Instead, Joe Biden had to come in and then people were like, nobody's going to force me to wear a mask. Wear a mask. Save yourself and save your neighbor. What's your problem? So uh, I do remember the pandemic very well to answer your question. Long windedly.
0: No. Well, this podcast is all about being long winded, but it gives good context to what I was going to explain, which was that the pandemic was hard for a lot of people, but um, I was just going through some rough things Some of which I've talked about on the show And some of which, you know, remain private But it it was one of those times Where I felt very, very alone And isolated from a lot of people Spent a lot of time locked down by myself For work situations And the... Your show, Never Not Funny, for people who don't know, and if people, Jimmy has one of the longest running podcasts, uh, like one of the original pioneers of podcasting, and has a show to this day called Never Not Funny that comes out, well, yeah, at least twice a week if you're yeah. a Patreon, uh, Patreon oh, no, not Patreon, your, your own uh, platinum, platinum subscriber. We have our own system, yeah. I am a subscriber to Never Not Funny. I am I flattered. have... Never not funny baseball cards sitting behind my computer as I record this. (laughs) Thank you. uh, But I honestly feel like that people should firstly, you know, pay for things that they get value out of. I think that's a good transaction. I pay for things all the time that I don't get value out of or that are an absolute disappointment. So when I happen to stumble upon something that somebody is offering for free that I get good value out of and they're offering me even what I think is good value, I just think pay for it. That's a good thing. I already know it's good. I don't even have to buy the ticket on the lottery that I go along to the thing and feel it was worth the time I spent online buying the ticket. And anyway, I'm getting too deep into this. But the point being that I love your show very much, Thank but you. particularly during the pandemic, as a person who was missing knowing what was going on in America and the way that you would talk about your lives, you know, daily, you know, and the struggles and the journey through it. and you know, just very honest reactions to, honest but informed reactions to what was going on, but you really felt like you were having the discussion that I wasn't being able to have with my, you know, friends or family. I found, I found that, that discussion in listening to your talk on the show, and, you know, and, of course, I'm one of those people who, if I love something, then like, then it's deep dive territory. I mean, of course, we had, you know, run into each other before I'd been on the show. Like, you know, we knew each other, but, but I went on a Jimmy Pardo like deep dive, like a fan deep dive. I like, like went back and listened to your albums and, like, you know, like when yeah, when the platinum, you can go back and listen to old episodes, extra episodes, all in, completest was. Like wow. you know, to the point where, like you know, got so much into the rhythm of the show that really felt like in your head, you know what it might be to just be also in that room, joining in on those conversations, almost knowing that when a guest doesn't come in and understand something, knowing what every how everyone will react to that and yes, what that yes, will yes. be, you you feel like you are in that room. You're part of that club. You have included people in. And I imagine that is the experience that many listeners who have followed your podcast for so long have. But I just thought about it a lot. You know, when you're on your own and you're in Mm -hmm. your own head, you just think about the value that it brings to the table. And I think – and this is going to embarrass you so much, and I'm so sorry that I've talked for so long at the start of this podcast, but I wanted this – this is my one opportunity to explain this to you I may have catfished you into this episode just so I can give you the most uncomfortable like sincere introduction of all time but I believe that Never Not Funny is my favorite piece of art of any kind that has ever been produced like I love Radiohead I went and saw them four times at Madison Square Gardens. you know like But I actually think I've got more out of like your podcast, like the, like, you know, going on that deep dive into your career and your podcast as a work. I I know you love the band Chicago. And one of the things that you love about them is that there's a lot, right? Yeah. Like if you like them, what a good thing to be a fan of. Like a thing that if you like it, there's lots of it. Right. And that's what you give. And when I like something, I want a lot of it and you give up there is a lot of it you know there's always stuff that I can you know no other podcast is giving me like four hours every week of like some of the highest quality podcasting there is going around still but like this entire back catalogue as well and so I don't know if I and some of it was obviously the time and the place you know the thing that comes to you in the moment that you need it and I think sometimes most of those things happen when we're in our, like, you know, teens or 20s, and they're formative things. It's rare that you're a man in his mid-40s. I mean, Never Not Funny and Jimmy Pardo might have been my midlife crisis, oh instead of buying a sports car, <laughs> uh, <you> know, Deep dive <laughs> like, on Pardo? Deep dive yeah, on right? Pardo? But anyway, I know that's a very uncomfortable way to start a podcast, but I, I like, I just wanted to... Like I couldn't, I was going to say it at the end and then I was like, I've got to say it at the start and then we can just get on with the rest of the podcast after that.
1: Well, I listen, I, you know, for those that are just listening and don't aren't seeing the video, I literally tear it up. As you said that, I mean, it, it was so moving. And to, for you to say, I mean, to say it's the greatest, I mean, I just, I don't I mean, you know. I don't know Will, what's happening? Like I was just in Salt Lake city doing some shows and some people, and, and after every, all of our shows, you know, all of my stand-up shows, or even when we do a live Never Not Funny, people will say how much the show means to them, and it, it always moves me, and it always means the world to me, that somebody likes this thing best of all. And and it just me being a, a, a nitwit and talking, and, and but, but being honest and also being real about what's happening in the world, and not just always going for the joke, or not always being on, quote-unquote. Um, and in Salt Lake City, a guy said it. Similarly to you, um, not with the beautiful accent that you have, of course, but <laughs> he, um, he said it in such a way, too, that like I, I literally was, was like, I, more moved than I've ever been by somebody uh, telling me that they enjoy my nonsense. And um, again, I, I'm not dismissing the other folks that say it because they also move me, but th- th- this man said it in such a way and then he's only now topped by you in the last in the same 14 days to to say similar things and um I, it, thank you I mean that sincerely I mean it's uh, you you know it, you certainly did not make me uncomfortable you've 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 warmed my heart and made me uh feel like I'm just doing something other than talking about my genitals for a living so it feels uh it feels good so I, I I'm glad that you opened the show with this and um I'm again. I'm honored and flattered that you that you wanted me for your third 300th episode, and um, I'm uh, I'm furious that we didn't have you on during the Zoom era uh, during the pandemic. It must have just been time difference related. Like maybe it just wasn't possible.
0: It is 7 a.m. like on a, you know, Thursday morning as I talk to you, which is, yeah. again, I, even of all those nice things that I said on air, the actual nicest thing of all that you can get out of this
1: is that I got up. up? I set my alarm for six, <laughs> you know. Well, I, again, I'm flattered that you were willing to not hit the snooze button a number of times that you made it for this. And, um, uh, yeah, 7 a.m., 7 a.m. That's just too, I, I, again, I'm honored and flattered and, and just. Well, thanks well, for doing by it, your mate. Nice I, words. Like, let's
0: yeah, okay. Well, we can move on from that. But thank you very okay. much for doing it. Um, so tell tell me a bit. Let's start with never not funny though, just because you know we're we're starting at the podcast. And for people who don't know the show, like what what is the what what was the show at the start? But what is the show now as well? Like, you know, what do you think? You know, what do you think you thought you were starting, and what do you think it has become?
1: You know that's boy. That's interesting. I I think it's become what I always wanted it to be. Oddly enough, when we started, uh, the kid that is now my adult grown man co co host producer Matt Belknap, uh, he was just he was a fan of mine that would come to my live shows. I would do live talk shows and game shows at the used to be theater in Los Angeles, and um, he was a huge fan of mine and a huge fan of my stand up and a huge fan of the talk show and the game shows and. I knew of Ricky Gervais' podcast. I was listening to that, and then Matt was doing a very dry, and I mean that in a a positive way, interview show talking to comedians about the craft. And he then said to me, you know, what what do you think about the idea of, of, of you doing a podcast? And I didn't really know what that, you know, I didn't know what to do with that information, and and he's like, well, you know, we could just uh record one of your live shows at the UCV and put that out. And so we tried that and that didn't work. It was like, I was like, nobody wants that. You gotta be here. It did it didn't work. And and I'd always wanted to be a radio personality, you know, even maybe even before I wanted to be a stand-up. I wanted to be a guy that was on the radio and 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 you know, being funny, and then also going and here's sticks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I wanted to do I wanted <laughs> yeah. to do that. Um and <laughs> So I said, why don't, we, why don't we take this seriously? Why don't we sit down and, and do it at a table? And uh, I said, I, let's do it twice a week. I'm sorry, uh, every other week. Let's do one every other week, tw- twice a month. 15-minute uh, episodes and just like little blogs, like little <laughs> what's going on in Jimmy Pardo's life. Well, then the first one, the guest was Mike Schmidt, uh, who's a, a brilliant comedian. And that episode maybe went 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And then the next episode was supposed to be a guy named Pat Francis, who now has his own podcast, and he couldn't make it. So I said, hey, Mike, do you want to come back? And then Mike came back, and then Mike was on for the first 59 episodes, and we would have a guest there, a different guest in with us every four episodes. But it it turned out, it went from, like, me a Jimmy Pardo blog to kind of morning radio, in a way. It kind of became just a lot of, you know, joke, 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 joke. And it was hysterical and it was fun and it was high paced and the 15 minutes turned into 30, turned into 45, turn, uh, turned into an hour. Um, and then Mike left the show. And then honestly, the show became, I think a little bit, just a little more personal. It just became more uh, of what I initially thought it would be of me talking about my life and being funny about my life and uh, having a guest to share that information with and a different guest every week. And, um, and then to your point about the pandemic, the pandemic, you know, it kind of started really probably in the end of 2015 with the, you know, the election here in the States of Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump and just how it divided this country and how, I you know, I was, you know, I, I'd never been that. I've spoken about politics in my entire life. And to me, it never that was not about politics. It was about just being decent human beings. And Donald Trump is not one. And, you know, when Hillary Clinton said his people that support him are, you know, all in a basket of deplorables, like... Uh, she was she's right they're they're awful you know they're dumb they're breaking windows at the capitol type people like so i was i started being very vocal about what was going on in our country and i'm not uh, an educated man when it comes to that i you know i'm just was talking about again just human decency um and so our, our show shifted a little bit then like it went from just Finding the joke about going to the movies or going to an amusement park or a water park, that sort of thing, to where oh we're we're talking about things that are really happening. Um, not everybody loved that we made that transition. We mm-hmm. lost a lot of listeners because of it. And fine, great, go listen to your guys that suck horse paste or whatever you got to do. Go you know go go to that go to that guy. Um, so, and then the pandemic happened, and so we became very personal during the election. And certainly right after the election, when it all, you know, what it, it, it ridiculous, belly up and ridiculous. Then the pandemic. And then that's when it was like, we're locked down. And we really just started talking about feeling. Like, you know, at least I certainly did about feelings and about, you know, what we're going through. And, you know, throughout all this, by the way, my my wife got pregnant right before like our 30th episode or something. And, and so that kind of has been a, a through line from day, you know, certainly year one of the podcast, it's been a through line of my son, you know, my wife being pregnant, my son being born, my son growing up and my son just turned 16 years old. So he's been around in some way for the entire show. And so I've talked a lot about being a dad and finding my footing as a dad. And a lot of people have appreciated that. Um, And then coming out of the pandemic, we just kind of kept that vibe of let's just talk about what's going on. We have our core, wonderful fan base people that love our show and that are, that, you know, have stood by us through various different things that have happened throughout the show and uh, changes and word choice changes, language changes that have had to be made over the years of what it's acceptable and what was not acceptable and what never should have been acceptable. Yet we said it a lot and, and they stayed with us and, and, I think we've landed to where exactly where I wanted it to be day one of a very funny Jimmy Pardo blog. And I'm surrounded by Matt Belknap and a guy named Elliot Hochberg, who's our video producer and a guy named Garen Cockrell, who is our 10 year mid forties intern, 40 uh, year old intern. And I'm grateful. I always say on paper, the four of us would never be friends and we wouldn't, but in that room we are and we bust balls and we love each other and we support each other. And we, we bring a guest on, that person becomes part of that whirlpool of fun, uh, that we're having.
0: How's Uh, that for a long winded answer? No, it's a good answer. Like, sadly, I'm going to have some long winded questions. Okay, great. So, uh, one of the more interesting things about having that much of your recorded material, like, you know, that longer time, you know, is that, is it social mores or language that you reference do change during that time? And I've got a – my other podcast, it's been going for 13 years, I yeah, think. Yeah, you're it's close been to us, yeah. Years. And we always say to people, if you're new to the show, listen to the latest episodes, get to know us now, like get to like us now. Yes. And then, and then when you go back, if you go back and we're saying some stuff back that you'll understand the journey we've been on and hopefully, you know, judge us by today's standards, but if you've been – recorded for a long time language has changed and perspective is on things the whole world's changed we've been through some big stuff so how do you feel about the idea that that's all those opinions and ways you use language or whatever it is from 15 years ago are publicly available for people oh.
1: Oh, I, I I'm, not, I'm not, I cringe every time mm. somebody, like if somebody will come up to me after a show or if somebody, I get an email, I was listening to something from season four. I'm like, Oh, brace no. for it. What, yeah. what, what's this person <laughs> mad about? And, and by the way, they're mad about something. They're look, they're certainly, they're looking through it through 2022 or 2023 eyes. Mm. They're looking through it through like to your point of what is appropriate now. And again, I don't think that the stuff we said probably should have ever been appropriate, but it no. was. And we, yeah. we used these words, and we used these phrases. And, you know, I'm certainly not... I, I don't want anybody to think we're throwing around racist. You know, the N-word wasn't being thrown around and going, why can't no. we say that anymore? It wasn't that kind of ridiculousness, but... Um, you know, it just the world. I I I, I cringe. I cringe when somebody uh, uh, the idea that somebody could listen back to.
0: Mm. But here's
1: know, I, my here's my spin
0: on that. I'm going to put a positive spin okay, on that please. if I can because I did do that in a way. I went back, you know, in reverse order through. You know, jumped back in during the pandemic. You know, was listening to everything up to date and then worked my way backwards. So mm-hmm. I did go on that journey, and I actually think it's brilliant. It's Jesus. instructive because so much of the time these days we do this, and and, and I, I'm like you. I agree that those things shouldn't have been appropriate at the time. We just didn't know. We didn't know. Like I always say once you know and you still want to do it, that's when it becomes a problem. <laughs> but if you didn't know, like then let someone know and then we can, you know, adjust what we need to do and, and we can move on. I think that – And when you like people and you know that they have evolved into something else, it gives you a perspective on not just that, but maybe someone who's making a mistake today, they might be on their journey as well, right? This might not... And so it was actually really lovely to see people's ideas and worldviews and perspectives on audience. And even, as you said, when things got a little bit more political and as you said not even political but just you know being a human being and standing up for things that you just thought this is beyond politics that was also part of that journey and you got to hear you know that younger man you know develop his thoughts and you know like you said have a family but one of the other things is there's an element to particularly male humor I think and this is the hard one that goes with, you know, changing – and I think it's what appeals to young men about the, those other sort of podcasts and those other sort of influences is one of the things that young men find hilarious is bullying. Now, bullying is no longer – like, and it probably never should have been, like, you know, punching down bullying, but with our friends – that's how men, you know, tell each other that we love each other yes. is like mocking them and bullying them and, you know, making fun of them. And it's part of our love language as men. And, and I think that is what, something that young men crave and like, you know, your show, there's such a st- fun, like, I mean, part of it is bullying, right? Like 100%. You know, fun I mean, part of your act in general, but part of the show is it's a safe space for bullying,
1: <laughs> i will 100 percent. i will own that it, it is in a fun way but
0: like we know a, a everyone knows it's fun way right
1: everyone knows it's fun and and yeah. i love what you said about about you know listen to our show get to know us mm. now and then listen to that because if you did just up if you just mm. somebody just said listen to jimmy pardo here's episode you know uh 702 and we're now on 33 something and I'm being that bully. You might go, "This guy's just a dick." You know what I mean? Like, but if you know that it's coming from a just a, a real loving, stupid, and silly place, it's silly. I don't, I, I don't. My bullying is nonsense. I don't really mean any of. I mean, I, you know, I mean something. But, uh, it's, it's not. And I love that you said those other podcasts that some young men are attracted to, because that is that guy in the gym type of bullying. Oh, you can't lift that kind of weight, with no humor behind Mm. it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, oh, oh, what's the matter with you? You can't, you know, oh, oh, you can only leg press that. Yeah, I can only leg press that. Who cares? Yeah, live live your life, find your business. But they have such a anger about it.
0: I mean, fair enough. Too it is. Yeah. <laughs> you cares. Who cares? <laughs> so, I, mean, I don't. I don't care, and yeah. I'm the guy
1: leg like pressing.
0: It's more than you need for your job, I'd imagine, for every day, right? Oh, absolutely. It's already excess. <laughs> <laughs> I've already got more than I need for right. my day by day. Right. <laughs> okay. So yeah. the um the podcast uh when you. Have this room full of you know different people this is one of the things I find most interesting about it is that the makeup of the room is so different Mm -hmm. and like I think when teams are put together or friends come together for a podcast it's often people who are quite like these days you know two friends from the comedy circuit or two scientists who are into or it's the complete opposite in that like he's a professor and he drinks beer all day or whatever but there's no this is just uh, four men it, it feels like an office sitcom like a workplace sitcom because it's that real sense of four men whose friendship they're job friends they all get along great at work would they all be friends necessarily in the real world? Like maybe they catch up for something. You know, maybe there'd be stronger ties between different members of the group. Like if one had a big event on, maybe they'd all gather around and take it as an opportunity. to But like, but it, but they have this very intense friendship. I think maybe that's part of what Iris, because I don't have, I don't really work in an office, and it's what I imagine an office friendship would be
1: like I, boy that's a perfect way of putting it it's an office friendship mm. it's uh i mean that's said, we've all come to grow yeah. to love each other and stuff but I, but like i said but earlier But in the
0: same way as if you worked uh, with somebody for 10 years or 15 course. years you would eventually regardless <laughs> just you know <laughs> by,
1: by default you would end right. up uh, caring about that person a little
0: bit right and, but, or you're
1: the psychopath <laughs> yeah I, uh, 100% 100% <laughs> um, um but it, again i i it's like i said earlier on paper the four of us should not should not be friends it's really Mm. bizarre it's um and it and it and it works the magic right yeah I think so I think it really really is and uh you know we joke on there quite a bit about our intern again he's in his 40s and he's been with us for 10 years Mm. is in this I mean he's a cast member at this point but Mm. um but this is a sitcom right this is an office
0: workplace sitcom 100 you've got the intern who like the plot line Leave. was he was packing up everything he was ready to go nope still there but like, that's that's a sitcom running joke if you came back to like you know season 8 of whatever and you're like oh god the 40 year old intern <laughs> right, remember right. when he first came into the series and then he's like you know he's
1: woody from cheers you know yes. <laughs> like, that's perfect that's uh, yeah. um god that's fantastic that's the uh god i can't i can't wait to share uh, it's an office sitcom uh, with the rest of the cast because they're going to love it they're going to love that uh, that take on it
0: so how much of when you have something that documents your life so much now i'm not saying that you document every aspect of your life but you know your son writes the trivia questions people know that you're married to you know another you know comedian and she has her own podcast so people can you know find out about her people know a a bit about your lives or at least as much as your you know, willing to publicly share about your lives. How, how do you feel about that? Are you comfortable with that? Is that something that you were aware that you were inviting, you know, in when you started on this process? Like, just talk to me about that a little. You know,
1: uh, I like, I I'm comfortable with it because I, you know, I I'm choosing what I'm saying. Uh, you know, there's like, for instance, I don't talk much about my, uh, my dad or my brother. They uh, they didn't sign up to be in show business, and so um, I don't really I don't uh, you know I'll, I'll say I went to visit them I had a great time with my dad I had a great time with my brother my dad you know I'll say something about being a kid and my dad did this or my dad did this but again they didn't sign up for this so they're not really my props so I don't I don't really talk about them much um, otherwise I'm okay with it like I say because I, I'm I'm choosing what I want out there. And I mean, honestly, if there's something that I said that goes too far, there may be, we very rarely edit our program. Uh, but if I go, if I say something that's too far, I may be driving home and yeah. Hey, uh, you guys sold the studio. I think I might have an edit. And uh, let's take out that part about blah, 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 blah. And maybe, I don't think people need to know that about me, um, but I've been pretty open on there. I mean, we, you know, there's mm. been, you know, you know, it uh, under the guise of comedy. I've, I've been pretty brutally honest about myself and, um, you know, uh, I, I, I just, find, I, I think that's the best way to do this show that we've been doing for so long. And, um, I'm okay with it. How you know? much of the, but
0: so you're doing like a, a lot and there is an element of, you know, Jimmy Pardo, the person versus the slightly dialed up version of Jimmy Pardo. That is Jimmy Pardo, the performer. And, you bring both of those to the table for two hours mm-hmm. at a time per podcast. Like, you know, two two times a week, sometimes three times a week, you know, depending on the circumstances, right? That's a lot of, like, how much of a differentiation is there between those two characters because, like, as in, like, you know, how much – dialed down is jimmy pardo in real life versus jimmy pardo on the show and how hard is it is it like tiring to come in and like do the show for two hours to be switching constantly between that because the truth of it is that there is a the show is very simple in a lot of ways in its you know in in and this is what is brilliant about it but then it is so complex because you're basically like you're the Conductor of the orchestra, like, you know, you're trying to conduct everything and weave everybody's characters together and create energies and feed off energies and, you know, respond, decide in the moment how to respond to these things. But you're also the conductor and the star performer in a way. (laughs) of this entire thing. Right. And and you know, your circus isn't a bunch of other circus professionals. Like sometimes you've hired in a circus professional, but then you've spun them around in a circle and confused them with what else is going on. Yes, yes. You know, put them into an environment they don't understand. And then I mean is that tire I guess, you know, is it is do you find that mentally and physically tiring
1: to go I I in fact I said this the other day to the guys. Um I have never once Said, oh, I got to go to work. I've never once done that in 17 years of doing the show. To your point, twice a week, sometimes three times a week, and you know, four to six hours, which is uh, you know, a lot of talking and it is a lot of you're right, of that back and forth. And I, you know what, Will? That's horseshit. There are times it's tiring mm. because it, <laughs> it, it, it'll be you know, where I do hit, um, I'm trying to bend the show one way, and maybe somebody else has a different idea. Mm. And then it's like, no, I'm, I'm the conductor. I'm, yeah. the, I'm, the, I'm the conductor. And then that gets... And then I, I'll come home and I'll say something to my wife about yeah. uh, about that. And, 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 you know, oh, it was a little frustrating today. I, I, I had a thing and then I got derailed and so on. And, uh, But at the end of the day, you know, I used to work at... I worked at Conan O'Brien. I worked for Conan O'Brien for, for 10 years. And I would see Conan get upset sometimes with some shows. And he would go, ah, oh, that wasn't a good one. And he would kind of then let it bother him. And it was like, dude, you've done 20,000 of these things. Uh, you know, uh, that one wasn't great. Go home, go to bed, come in tomorrow. You got another show. And I kind of had to take that own, my, my own advice on that of, ah, that one didn't go exactly the way I wanted it to and blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, you've been doing this 17 years. If one didn't go exactly the way you wanted to come in on Thursday and do another one and have fun. And Easier said than done, but I try to. I try to live by that. Yes, but well, also, it's
0: not our job, and this is such a hard thing as like a performers to think about. I think, but it's not necessarily our job to know why people like something we do, right? Because they might like it for a different reason then we're intending them to like mm. it. But if they like it, does it really matter? Like, do you like Chicago for the same reasons that somebody else likes no, Chicago? I do not. No, right? Like and that doesn't matter. You can both enjoy it in the way that you like to enjoy it. So, for me, like a fan of Never Not Funny, the show, part of the funny of that show is when the amateurs decide to step in front of the professional like, and derail. And, like, and I, I don't think I just don't find that funny because I'm a professional and I'm just going, what are they doing? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like the ambulance guy is here to revive the patient right. and Doris has put down her knitting needles and decided <laughs> to have a couple of pumps first. You're like, no, no, no. But that's the fun of the show, right? Like that is also part of the f- – that's – Again, to this workplace sitcom part of it, part of it is that the hero of the story is constantly, is often, you know, frustrated, Flo- but flus- also flus- inspired yes. by, you know, the people who surround him. And yeah, it's very funny to me. It's, it, a, uh, it, it, it's a good relationship. And it, it has, yeah. I think. So, do you have a. Like I mean, I philosophy might be too big a word, but like for the for the show itself, mm. like what is it do you think that the show is a is about? What is it uh, trying to
1: achieve? That has been the biggest problem mm. for seventeen years yeah uh i I don't know mm. um I think at the end of the day, what I'm really trying to achieve is just entertaining people, making people happy, uh giving them a few hours of joy, uh maybe a respite from their life, uh, and I know that was difficult that's a difficult thing to say certainly based on what I said about the election and stuff like that, because one would hope that you'd come to never not funny to escape that sort of stuff, but it's what was happening to us. And so we had to react to what was happening to us as people. But, uh, well, I think, I think the agenda is just to entertain and to bring joy to people. And that, that that's really it. And, and I would hope that you'd jump on board. And if you don't, you know, those days of being upset that people don't like me, uh, I, I think they're mostly gone. I mean, I, I always have to remind myself, there's comedians I don't like. So you know, if, if somebody like doesn't like me as a comedian, okay, that makes sense. I don't like I don't like everybody either. So um, but for the most part, I, you know, I hope you like the nonsense I put out there and, and spend some time with me and, and hopefully you'll walk away uh, happier.
0: Can uh, we talk about your comedy? Because I did also go in a Jimmy Pardo stand-up deep dive as well. So I'm going to – like this is where this story gets even more interesting to me because you are part of one of the worst – uh, memories of my life. Oh, and no, you what? You don't you don't know this. It's not your fault in any way, but I'm going to tell you something that it will just for a second make it feel like I'm saying it's your fault. It is not. Please believe this up the top. That it is not your fault. Okay. Right? It is 100% entirely my fault. You know I, you I'm going to think it's my you, fault. You know that. I know. I right, know you ahead. do, which is why I'm saying this the up the pre-amble. front. All right, fair. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, one night I was in LA and, uh, you know, everyone has, and I've heard you talk about it on your show as well. You always just have that night where just everything went wrong, you know? Like it just, it was just one of those nights. They just happen, right? Like no one hits every, you know, home run every time they, you know, no one makes a hundred in cricket every time, right? Like it's not, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes Jordan misses, you know? So... Yeah. Um, this was my night. Uh, it was a little, um, Conan, like, you know, one of those little Conan audition nights that they used to have at the, 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 the little venue out the back of the improv. What's oh, the, the lab little, or the, so this is bad. Th-
1: this was for the tonight is, show with Conan O'Brien, right?
0: Yeah, whatever, That's right. Yeah, that's correct. This is Tonight show. Time. Okay. JP Buck uh, is the
1: casting person yeah, Talent yeah. coordinator. And I believe I, I, I was hosting, I, I would yeah. guess. You were hosting.
0: Okay. So this was you were down to like host. And then they just had a bunch of people for people who don't understand at home what I'm talking about is this is just like a standard thing they would do for one of those television shows where they got a bunch of people who might be in the zone of being on the show or might be interested. Like, you know, like doesn't mean that they are necessarily considering them for the show, but they're kind of in the in that next bucket of potentially we could be considering them for the show. So it was one of those nights and I was um, uh, – you know, they they had kind of said to me that they were, you know, fans of mine and, like, you know, basically it was one of those, as long as this goes fine diets. You know, yeah. <laughs> everything should be fine. You don't I've... really need to wow them tonight. You just, as long as you know, like... absolutely <laughs> eat shit, right. like, as long as you don't look like you've never done comedy before. <laughs> You're on. <laughs> you should be fine. Oh, I've had Spo- many of those. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Spoil- spoilers for this story. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so uh, I know those nights don't have a lot of people there in general, like, you know, and they're mostly industry people in the audience. And uh this one particularly is quite sparse at the beginning and uh, you, you are doing the best job that you could possibly do but – the majority of what you're doing is referencing people who are in the audience because you know all the people who are there basically. Oh, so geez. you're essentially doing the most personalised crowd work right, right, right. <laughs> of all time, right? And, but going, doing well because it's very relatable material to the people it's you're about talking them. about right, in the room, yeah. right? So anyway, uh, you, you, you are doing great. Uh, I, uh, am up first. You're first first, right? So I'm I've just sorry. come up the back of you killing off, off a whole bunch no, of this is my fault. <laughs> Good to see you, Derek. No, I... this is why I said Honor. it. It'll sound like it's your fault. No, but, but you, you know, know what?
1: T- I'm only going to, I'm going to interrupt your story for this reason. Yeah. I insist when I go on the road, I insist mm. people don't do crowd work in front of me <laughs> because it sets the wrong precedent. Cause that's what I do. Yeah. And I always tell young comics, don't do crowd work when you're opening for somebody because if the guy does crowd work, you've just stepped on what he's going to do. And if he doesn't do crowd work, you're setting a weird tone for a guy that just wants to tell jokes. So don't do crowd work. So the fact that I went up there and did crowd work to open up that show for people that then like you are then going to do a tight five minute set to try to be on TV is wrong. And so I'm going to take some of the blame, even though you're not allowing me to now go on with your story.
0: Well, here's what I will also say, though, Jimmy, because amazingly, of course, I thought about this night a lot. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I – you did the best that you could have done. There was no other way that you were going to get – you clearly made the choice on that night because, like, I have thought about this, is that you could have tried to do material or anything, but there was – you were doing what you thought was the best to at least try to get, get them the crowd to laugh. Right. Because okay. that was the only way you could have, right? Yes. I'm, I'm guessing. As I, as I was about to prove. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I, um, oh man, like I literally do. So I do a um, in Australia, I do a crowd work show, like a, just a completely improvised, you know, show. And right. it's quite a r- regular thing I do. You know, I've done it in, you know, big theatres and stuff. And i very confident doing crowd work, love doing improvised stuff. Like that's, you know, my forte. But this is not that night, right? Right. This is... That's not you why you right. Yeah, I'm not there to do that. Like I would... I've thought about this a lot. I might have had a fighting chance doing some more crowd work. I might have impressed them if I'd decided to just throw the script out the window and like, you know, go. you know what? I'm just going to like try to be funny for five minutes rather than try to do my act to complete silence. That would have been a better choice. I no, think, but, at least- it, but
1: but it would have been for this reason. <laughs> yeah. you, the feedback would have been like, he just did crowd yeah. work and he yeah. knows he can't do that on TV, yeah. so why why did he waste our time? So yeah. you made the I right know. choice, yes. even though in your – well, it was happening. Well, it was no, a, no, yeah.
0: we're, we're not done yet. It's fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're not done yet. Okay. Because, like, you try to – you know, get some energy going. I walk up onto the stage, you know, classic microphone is in the microphone stand. I, you know, just in the one moment I have to establish any kind of authority in this space, you know, I don't have a lot of time. You know, it's not that rolling applause where you can take a moment and really kind of plant your feet. This is, you know, it already feels like an eternity that you're standing there (laughs) and... I take the microphone out of the stand and literally like I've never done comedy before, it detaches. No, it does not. <laughs> and
1: oh, come on. The, the... Hey, but, but again, that, that's not, isn't it funny? That's not your fault, but they all assume it's your fault. Of course. Yeah.
0: And so I am now standing just holding a microphone that is not plugged in right the cord is on the ground half the members of the audience are wondering whether this is maybe the bit, like there's right, still right, right. that, there's still a little bit of hope that yeah. maybe this is all part of it. Not knowing that the guy in front of them has osteoarthritis in his hips is now going to take about 20 seconds <laughs> to bend down in <laughs> the un- most uncomfortable silence <laughs> of all time to grab this microphone. Anyway, turns out, once I got the microphone back in, I am not. I didn't feel like I got him after that. Okay. <laughs> felt like I <laughs> had spent any goodwill that oh. I had at that point. But um, I wanted to talk to you about stand-up because I do okay. believe that you are one of the greatest stand-ups of all time. That's and, insane. Uh, Thank you. I, but again, because I love crowd work as right. well. I love someone who can combine their act with – like to me, I guess what I – There are comedians who are so brilliant that – but if I went and saw them in Manchester and I went and saw them in Dallas and I went and saw them in Sydney at the Sydney Opera House, I would see essentially the same show, right? right? And that's not a bad thing. Maybe that's actually a more – you know think marketable and monetizable thing right like you go there and you get the same thing every night you know i remember a friend took me to see the latest u2 tour and, and there's a point where uh, the the is it the drummer Larry Mullins Jr. Is that the drummer? I think so. Can't remember. Yeah, you're not a U two guy, and I like I only was when I was a teenager. But it was like a show. It was that one that had that super screen and the whole thing. But there's a point where the camera finally goes to the back of his like top, and it's got the name of the city. And it, I found it to be one of the most hilarious things of all time because I know. That there's a wardrobe person whose job it is to have like one of those for every city on the U two tour, and every night Larry has to go down and whack on where are we tonight and like (laughs) whack it on the back for that one moment in this perfectly choreographed show. Now, for me, for the crowd there that night, they loved it, right? But for me, that just reminded me that oh yeah, they're doing that this in Melbourne tomorrow, and they're doing this in Hobart, you know. Whereas you go and see a Jimmy Pardo show or somebody who weaves their act in, in between what's happening there in the room that night. Paula Poundstone's another one that yes, I think she is the same thing. Like great jokes, like really great comedian. But what I like is I could go and see a four nights in a row. And yeah, there would be some things in the act that I would see each of those nights, but I would also see, in my opinion, a completely different show because of the crowd there that night, a unique experience to that night. And that's what I love. Talk to me about, the style of comedy you do and why you developed it?
1: Um, well, I developed it because I can't write jokes. Mm. I mean, that's the that, that's mm. the easy answer. Um, but, but again, that's unfair because I tell stories and there's jokes in the stories. And, and you know, I, I don't know the answer to that, Will. Uh, like, I just, when I started doing comedy at open mics, I kind of was the guy I am today. And I would go up and I would be loose and I would improvise. And people uh, people would run into the room, part of on. And because they, lo- they love that, the, you know, the uh, element of surprise. You didn't know what you were going to get. Not that I was doing crazy Andy Kaufman type stuff. I was doing in the middle of, uh, you know, the late 80s when everybody was doing their Seinfeld riser type, you know, roll up sleeve comedy. By the way, those guys are both comedy geniuses from their era. There's, I'm not putting them down. Um, but everybody was trying to do that because that's what comedy was at that time. You know, the skinny tie um, And I, while dressed like that, would do, you know, like, boy, Paula is a great example of what, of similar what I do. It's certainly not as brilliant as what Paula does, but I would do that. I would do the crowd work and I would be in the moment. I would improvise if somebody, you know, worked on a, you know, I work at a potato farm. I would then do... You know, seven minutes on potatoes, or like I would. It w- it wasn't just what. He, what's your name? What do you do for a living? And then make fun of that person. And I, I, because that crowd works, that, that that goes back to your bullying thing. That's just bullying, and that's just lazy. And I, and I can't stand that kind of crowd work. And people get you. Know, oh, that guy's great at crowd work. No, he's not. That guy's just telling that guy he's dumb because he's single. Mm-hmm. Like, or you know, uh, oh, 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 you came by yourself. Was that a, a computer date screw up? Aha, Funny. You made fun of the guy that came by himself to enjoy your comedy. You win. Um. So I would I would go off on tangents and um, and find the funny, you know, uh, in that way. Of, like you know, I I, I I kind of dug myself a hole here with this potato farm thing, but uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, but here, well, that's the beauty of also what I do live. I can say that on stage, mm. and if I say that on stage. They laugh at the fact yep. that they're that they're, they're witnessing a guy who realizes there's nowhere to go with the potato farm thing. He acknowledges it. They all laugh. There's a relief, a release of pressure, and then I laugh and make fun of myself, and then make then build on the comedy from there. And so I, I, I'm always in the. I, I try to be in the moment in that regard of, you know something's always, I, I don't shut up when I'm on stage. I literally, I don't even think I give them a chance to laugh or enjoy it. I talk for an hour straight and just nonstop. stop. And then when I do take a break, I was like, why aren't they laughing? It's like, cause you're not saying anything. I love the idea of
0: what you said about when you're in a hole, digging your way out of the hole. This is why I love, this is why crowd work exactly what you're talking about it is there is a style of crowd work and I always have to explain this to people at the start of my improvise shows where I will say to them, I just say, I I don't want you in the show if you don't want to be in the show. Like if, if you look down when I go past, I will respect that. Like that's, I want this to be like, you know, a consensual experience. And the other thing that I really is, is really important to me is that we're going to make something together. We're about to make a bit of comedy together Mm. and I'm going to do all the heavy lifting and you're going to get a story. Like, you know, you get to tell this, like you get to take this with you. We're going to make it together. And then they just at least feel like, I mean, I hope to say it more comedically than that on stage, but I explain that concept to them. And then, uh, yeah, I'm exactly like you. I don't want to make fun of you. I want to learn something about you that I can then extrapolate comedically. Like, it's not actually about you. Please don't think any of this is about you. At all. You will say some things. Yes. And I will imagine a comedic scenario around those things. And then that's when I'm going to go off and have fun. You know, I wish wow. I could actually go out at the
1: start and just say, look, this, this it's just better. You know, this, right. <laughs> it, you know, it's so funny you say that though, will, cause I, I 100% agree yeah. with that, with what you just said. And that is how I do my, and you've heard it. And, and I thank you again for the kind words that is the, what I do. Uh, yet when the show is over, somebody will come up and go, "Boy, you really mm. gave Jerry a hard time." Like, mm. no, you didn't hear a word I said then, because no. I didn't give Jerry. <laughs> Jer- once I learned Jerry, mm. you know, was a truck driver, Jerry's mm. done. Jerry's out of the. Mm. Jerry's out of the equation. Now it's about truck driving mm. and being on on the on the highway and listening to "Convoy" by C W mm. McCall, <laughs> which then leads us to going to yeah. day camp, and then I got hit in the knee with a softball and blah blah blah. Jerry's done, mm. but they here are the seven minutes to come after I talk to Jerry and they yeah. think, Oh, look at fucking Jerry. <laughs> and so it, it, boy, the way you just described it is perfectly. And I love brilliant that you say that up top to them. I I am jealous that you say that. In fact, don't be surprised if word gets back to you that I've stolen that concept.
0: Oh, well, I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, it's not a con- like a concept no, in so much as like, I just think readjusting people's expectations from what they think it's going to be. Mm. Like you know, I, I I like I mean one of the, I, I have one standard thing that I always say at the shows. People are sick of hearing me say this, but it is my one standard thing. I promise you, an hour of quality entertainment, no matter how long it takes. That is it. Oh, that's like fine. that's because it gives them permission for in a moment, that, like when it's not going well, for a moment where you've dug yourself a hole the the fun is in watching you dig your way out, but they've got to give you the t- – they've got to know that that's part of the game because if they – sometimes an audience – when you're you're in a hole, they're like, "Oh, he's forgotten how to do it. Right, we're exactly. in trouble. We're in trouble here." Yeah.
1: <laughs> it, uh, even even though they came to see you, and you're it, it's, that's the perfect phrase too. He's for, oh, he's forgotten how to do oh, this. No. Like we're witnessing the last time that they, yeah. know, they're going to do stand up. Oh no. Um, hey, before we get too far astray, yeah. can I can we go back to that night at, at the improv real fast? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, sure, sure. um, so. W- just so that for me, so the the phone can be hung up on, yeah. uh, hung up uh, on this story. What was then when you, when it was over and JP Buck has to give you notes or say, "Hey, that was great," but let's you know, yeah, tonight was not great because of the audience. Let's see another time. What what ended up happening?
0: I think that's. I think they said never do comedy again. that was very harsh. Very harsh. Yeah, they actually got Conan personally to call me. Which he I called I thought you personally to quit. He said you're out of comedy. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so I, was moved th- back. I don't remember it being that bad. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, that's how I remember it. Of it course. probably wasn't as bad as I remember it. It just, uh, of course, it was just you know, like these things stick in your
1: mind. Of course, do you? you have? Those moments that do stick in your mind like that? Oh, of course. Uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I've talked about this on the podcast. Uh, I did a show in Dayton, Ohio once. It was so, it was so. I was, you know, the head, the quote-unquote headliner. I probably wasn't ready to be headlining at this point, but I was headlining. And second show Friday, Smoky Room. Just they hated me. They just hated me, and no matter what I. Bobbing and weaving, like, oh, they'll like the crowd work. No, they won't. Oh, Christ. Oh, the oh, oh, there's a crowd that wants the written word. Nope, not from you. They don't. Um <laughs> and it just nothing hit. And it was one of those nights where like you just keep looking at the clock and it's like, I'm just gonna fulfill my 45-minute contract. And at 44 30, I'm gonna say that I misread the clock. I thought it was 45, and I'm gonna get off. And I got in the in the rental car, and the on the way back to the rental car was a best buy you know, uh, you know, whatever that is, uh, appliance store, I guess, the, the, you know, electronics and stuff. So on the way to the hotel was a Best Buy. And for whatever reason, I pulled over and just sat in that parking lot and cried and just was like, what, what am I, am I done? Like to your point, have, have I forgotten how to do this? Am I done? Why, why was that so bad? And, um, it just felt, just felt horrible. And it's like, but, dude, the first show, you killed. Like, you know, you know this, but you understand the business. It just was yeah. a bad show. But there was something about that one, and that one yeah. echoes with me about, um, mm. you know, if ever there's a second on stage that's not going well, it's, oh, Christ, it's yeah. all over again. <laughs> and uh, it just was, a, they just hated me that night. And, you know, you've, you've had those shows. They, they're just a night. And, by the way, this is 20 years ago. It's mm. a long time ago, this story. Uh, but still... It sucks when it doesn't go well and knock on wood. That's not the, for either of us, I think we both now have a fan base and stuff where it, something's really got to go wrong for people to walk out and go, mm, tough night, huh? Because we make it work.
0: Yeah, I had a, there was a town in Australia that like I had such a bad show at like 12 years ago or something. Like it's bad when you're like, I'm good at this now, I should never have a show this bad again, right? right? Like yeah. it was just one of those ones where I was like, I don't understand I actually don't – like, I've got I've. What – what is happening? Like, why right. is this going We're so bread. badly? Yeah, 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 And so for years, I not only refused to go back to that town, but, like, I would publicly talk about just how bad a town it was. Like, right. it became the punchline to everyone. If I ever needed, like, a bad – but the truth is, it's a really beautiful town. Right, so, so <laughs> I like, just it makes you say
1: there. it. <laughs> it um, – you know, to, to your point that you're saying, like, mm-hmm. being so far along and you shouldn't have shows like that, I, very early on in my career, I opened up for a, the aforementioned Paul Reiser, who I think is brilliant and just a person that has funny in his bones, and I'm grateful. man he's that, an
0: incredible guest on your podcast he is, when he comes on. He, I,
1: and I'm grateful that he's become a friend, because, you know, he was, before I did comedy, he's one of, the, one of my heroes. One of the guys I looked up to was Paul Reiser, and we worked together 30, now 30-something years ago, and it was again second show Friday, and my mom and stepdad came to that show, and I probably did fine. You know what I mean? Like not great, but I probably did fine. And then the the uh, I was just hosting, and then the middle act uh, did well. And then by the time Paul gets on stage, they it's first, again it's now it's eleven thirty on a on a Friday night, and they're tired and they're drunk and they don't want to listen to Paul Reiser, and uh, he had an eh show. Not a horrible show, but an eh show. And my mom said to me, uh, boy, isn't that amazing that somebody as good as Paul Reiser could still have an off night like that? And that stayed with me as well. Like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, it it happens. He's, they all came, it it wasn't his fault. He did his job. They just were tired or whatever. And I'm glad that happened early on in my career so that I could uh, have that in the back of my head whenever I needed it. I never brought that out. I would feel better... You know, crying in a parking lot. Apparently, but uh, um, it was—it it wasn't advice. Like it wasn't even advice that she said. It was just like an observation that was very, very helpful moving forward. And I remind Paul of that uh, bad show every time I talk to him. Hey, remember yeah, that time I mean, you he sucked? Must
0: love that. Yeah, oh.
1: <laughs> I've never—I've never brought it up, not once.
0: Well, he's a yeah. big fan of this podcast, so g'day, oh, Paul. Oh, Thank no. You for, no.
1: <laughs> oh, no. He, if, he, if you get a chance to see Paul Reiser, do so, because he is, a, to this day, even a, he's still a great stand-up comedian.
0: Uh, and that television show that he did recently. Oh, re- uh, Reboot? Yes. Loved was it. So good. Loved I thought he was just so funny in that show. And I thought that show just in general was very funny, but I I loved it. Like a clever idea, good
1: attitude. And like, he though was just, I mean, hilarious. He would not only was he hilarious. will the scene in the final episode where he's, you know, bonding with his daughter and consoling her, Mm. like if you don't get teary eyed, like he's, he's also, he's got that. Yeah, he's in a good him. actor. Yeah. He's a good actor. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's quite, it's a fear. And he plays the piano too. Very well. <laughs> I'm sick of this guy. <laughs>
0: that like because I'm so fascinated now that I'm you know it's weird for an adult man like who's met somebody to then become a fan of I think this is what is weird like it's a bit weird for me that like I you know we've spoken previously and I was not kind of weird or intimidated by it but since I've become a fan if that makes sense and and so it's a different relationship today that I just want to ask you so many fan questions like that's all I've literally I'm (laughs) so fascinated by why and this is like where it gets weird and awkward but like why aren't you the biggest fucking star on the planet like what's your theory about that because you're so funny and like you're a great all-rounder like you've got such you know great all-round talent like you're quick-witted but you're also you know a very good presenter like I came and saw uh, Conan Tonight Show recorded one night and just to see you even just do that audience warm-up like it felt like a show again you were doing like you know what you do in a show but you the great thing about like i've you know done shows that have warm up and my favorite warm ups beforehand are the ones who feel like they add value to the show experience for the audience so the audience like i think it's not about warming them up for the main act but it buys goodwill like if you've been really funny and great, the audience are like, oh, this has already been fantastic. Yes, like wait, Oh, the show's about to start now. You don't need to, do, you know, convince them to clap when, you know, the boss comes out at that point because they're so fired up from having a good time. And I was uh, – the people I, w- I was with on the way home, I was talking to them about, uh, you know, just how funny you'd been and that was the first time they, you know, had become aware of you and they – and they said to me, they say, "Why, why is that guy not like super famous?" Like, and I know it's an awkward thing to ask you, but do you have a theory on on
1: why that is? Um, I, no. And mm. one day somebody will do a documentary about it. I would imagine, yeah. like, why why was this the guy that mm. almost became you know the biggest name in comedy? I, I don't. I, I, I don't, I wrestle with it. It, it does confound, it confounds me. It confounds my wife. My son even is like, dad, why? He doesn't say, why aren't you bigger? Certainly. Uh, mm. cause you know, he'd be grounded if he said any horse shit like that. But, um, <laughs> he, um, he also is like, dad, you're dead. You're, well, like, he's like, a com like for people that don't oh, know, yes. your
0: son is a comedy fan and watches a lot of comedy and anyone who's a comedy fan, you are a, comedian just in watching enough comedy and knowing yes. what you do. Like if he just steps away from you being dad,
1: like he'd be an idiot not to, not think to enjoy my nonce. Yeah. That- <laughs> um, somebody once said a, a guy named Rich Tackenberg, yeah. who has become a friend as well, but my, he he worked with my wife, as you mentioned, is a comedy, is a comedian and a comedy writer. And she worked with a guy named Rich Tackenberg once. And, and I was maybe... I don't remember if it was my Comedy Central half hour or whatever was happening at, the, at that time in my life. He came into work and said, I saw your husband's special or I saw his whatever TV appearance it was. Um, boy, if he was if he was around 10 years ago, he'd be the biggest star. And that kind of was like, am I from a different era? You know what I mean? Like, is my comedy from a different era? Am, am I? And I know crowd work is the, you know... You know, a lot. There's a lot of crowd work shows now in the states, and again, I think they all are subpar. Um, and uh, and and again, bullying, and punching down for for humor. But it, it, am I a guy that should have been in a suit and tie or a tuxedo? You know, back in the day, in the you know w- w- you know going on talk shows and stuff like that. Is that what it is? Like that? I it was it, is my window off of what I do. And that's really all I can hang my head on. Otherwise, I would think I would, you know, uh, go out in the garage and, and not come out of it um, and wrap myself in, in plastic like I'm uh, yeah. in the full Monty. I do. I do. I mean, look, yeah. I mean,
0: it's such an awkward thing to talk about. But I like also, I mean, I'm sure you've thought about it. Oh. <laughs> like, <laughs>
1: you know, on, on, a, on a minutely basis.
0: <laughs> um, and. I think that that does make a bit of sense to me. That like, not just like, caught between two times, because you know if it was now, like that it was like you know it, it would be like I, there is this other type of crowd work yes. that you're talking about the teetot blah blah blah. And then this would this. be it could be a contrast. It could be contextual. It would be like a different thing. Like Dude. I think that there would be, but it's yeah caught between times. I'm caught between. It? I yeah. but
1: that is. Uh, a perfect way of... I mean, look, I'm... Luckily, people still enjoy my comedy and they still come out, but at the the end of the day, though, I'm still... You know, I'm I'm pushing 60. I'm not close to 60, but I'm getting there. And in my brain, I'm still 22, of course, but um, I always remember seeing the guys that were that age going, why are they still doing this? Oh, boy, they're still doing this. And, And I don't get the sense everybody thinks that when they come to see me. I think they enjoy it. Um... But I think you're right, boy, you nailed it between two, uh, between two windows. Uh, so you talk about this idea of getting
0: older. Like, I mean, do you think about that there will be a time where you stop doing stuff or do you feel like you're one of those people who will always like dabble creatively? Like, is the podcast going to, is it going to be never not funny? You know, Jimmy's turning 80. I hope you so. Know,
1: yeah. I, you know, again, I go back to that. I've never, I've never not wanted to go there and do it. Mm. So. I kind of hope that, that that anybody that podcasting sticks around that long and yeah. people stick around. I think we have what, as I mentioned, but like with my son being born, I think we have the built-in audience of people that have have grown with. They've had kids at the same time that I had kids, and they or they got married at, at when the, at the start of the show, so they've kind of had the same evolution as us, and maybe they'll never leave us. And well, I'll turn eighty, they'll turn sixty, and you know my castle turns you know uh, seventy right in the middle, or. Um, I hope so, Will. Uh, you know, I, I'll probably cut down the touring a little bit, I would imagine. Um, but, you know, I'm lucky that there's great clubs here in L.A. that I can get up and scratch the itch. And um, But I, 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 I used to think I'd be that guy. Like, you know, I'll do this until I'm whatever, then I'll bail. But, but what? this is, again, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent. But people get very, at least, in, I don't know, maybe in Australia it happens as well. People get very mad with these bands that said, we're retiring it's our final tour. And then 10 years later, they come back. Well, of course they come back. They're, they're only 50. Yeah. They're 50 years old. And what do they do? They make music. Mm. So why wouldn't they come back and do what they do? And then oh, they said they were retiring. They should have stayed mm. retired. Why should they stay retiring? Why? They, 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 have, they still have 40 years of life left. And, and, so- it's not, and, and it's not compulsory
0: for you to go. And if the only reason you went last time was it was the last time they were doing it, what, right, just the right. check... Like, all right. a, I'm here for it. Um, <laughs>
1: I I I think it's great that bands came out of retirement or whatever, you know, final tour, never going to see us again. You know, no more tours, tour. Um, come back. That's what they do. So, uh, you know, I, when I say that I'm going to stop, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I'll, i I probably be you know. Please welcome Jimmy Pardo, and then you know somebody walks me to the stage. Well, right this way, Father, and. You know. well so is there a point where you so this
0: will seem like a weird direction to take this question for a start but there was a movie i saw once that i've never watched again because i remember not really liking it that much and then it making me cry uncontrollably in a cinema it was one of those ones that i was like oh i just can never watch this movie again yes. but it was called mr holland's opus do you remember this movie the richard with richard Drofus yeah. film yeah right and like anyway, spoilers for Mr. Holland's opus if there's anyone who's been waiting to watch that. But it turns out that he wants to the whole time he wants to write this, you know, incredible. Yeah, he's a high school conductor who wants to write this incredible opus, but the true opus that he had written was the lives of all the people in in the high school. That right. anyway, it was like I was like, Really? Is this what got me today? But anyway, I remember that day it got me. But is there a like that moment where you realized or are realizing or when did it come that like never not funny is your mr holland's opus mm. right like I never so. not funny is that's your great work of your life and yes that could be the thing that continues to be the great work of your life there's no the rolling on the day we're recording this the rolling stones just released a new album you know so there's no reason that you couldn't be, you know, doing this for as long as you wanted to. This is your, your opus.
1: I think the, well, first of all, thank you again. This is a, 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 what, what I, it turns out I needed this conversation today. So I thank you. <laughs> um, I said sincerely, um, I'm very
0: nice in the mornings. I get grumpier as the day goes um, on. It turns out. Well, up. then we're never talking <laughs> as the day goes on. We, you and I will only be morning friends.
1: um, he, um I, the I, the only way I can see stopping it will is if all of a sudden the audience just starts dwindling and then it just feels sad to do, you know what I mean? Like, Hey, let's go to the studio. Really? So that a hundred people can still enjoy you. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I, I say that now at 78, when I'm going there and going, there's only a hundred people that listen, they still love us. Let's give them a show. I can, you know, I can be that guy. <laughs> right. Um, you know, uh, so I mean, I, at the
0: start of your know. career, if there was 100 people in the room, you were rapt to have 100 to right. talk to. Yeah. There's, hey, there's yeah. 100 people out there, dude. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, I, can uh,
1: back. I can go back to 100. You know what? Oh, it's, it's, it comes <laughs> full circle, right? It's just like when I started, so why not? Uh, that would be my rationale. Um, I don't see, see stop. I mean, uh, <sighs> even if, if cast people decided, you know, I, you know mm. like even with a band, uh, you know, uh, uh, here's a, a, an example, that a band I like that the world doesn't, Night Ranger. You know, they're a band, you know, a rock band from the 80s and 90s. and uh, Their keyboard has just left in the last five years. And people are like, oh, the keyboard is left. Yeah, because he's 68 and he doesn't want to tour anymore. So it, even if that happens with my show where somebody like goes, you know what, I'm done. You know, I've, I've done this a long time and it's time to move on. Uh, it's still my baby and I'll probably keep doing it. So I'm interested in,
0: like, a little of this. the theme of this chat today has been my fandom. I'm interested in your fandom, particularly, you know, of music. You know, it's a theme that comes up a lot. Like, you know, not just, like, I mean, not just, you know, classic rock music, but, like, you know, musicals and all sorts of, you know, performance, like celebrating performance, enjoying music. And, like, one of the interesting things I've enjoyed about listening to Never Not Funny is also hearing the – more varied musical taste. I come from a slightly younger era than you and I'm very Gen X, like very informed by the music of Gen X, you know, the, the grunge movement mm. and that post-classic rock, you know, era that was very much about rejecting right. all that sort of stuff. So it wasn't part of my musical vocabulary, even though I'm a person who really likes music, until like I started listening to the show and really understanding the depths of your fandom, particularly around the band Chicago. So – could you tell me about like what what it is that you like about being a fan for a start? Because you are more than just a consumer of it. You're like you're a fan of, you know, things, not just music, but you're a fan of things. I think, you know, like what is it about fandom? Why do you support things in that way? Like why, if you get into a thing, I,
1: I guess, like you, I, I, yeah. I think the answer is it goes back to what we said. It brings it brings me joy and. You know, my, my wife will, you know, uh, gently, you know, bust my balls a little bit. Where like I, uh, show like even today, I she came in and looked at their turntable and went, "Oh, Chicago, huh?" <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's, and she's not wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what it is. I think if I like something, I like something, and mm-hmm. it takes something crazy, like some, you know, something in life that like like Ted Nugent. I liked Ted Nugent for a long time until I found out about Ted Nugent, the person. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, I'm sorry, this is this case, I cannot separate art from artist. I can't. Um, and with Chicago, I think for me, or being a fan of Chicago specifically, and I know you were just asking about being a fan in general. I think the overall thing is if it brings me joy, why not be a fan of it? And I do embrace it, and I'm going to go all in on it. Um, but with Chicago, it was... You know, my dad listened to them. My parents were divorced. My dad listened to them, loved Chicago. He was in a band, a wedding band, a cover band when I was a kid. And I would go see that band and they would play some Chicago. And my dad specifically on drums would play, uh, would sing Color My World. And so I had this connection with Chicago a little bit. And then they were my second concert I'd ever been to. And the guy I went, a guy named uh, Jerry Shera, loved Chicago. We sat in the front row. And so, like, the combination of my dad and that in 1981, seeing Chicago, and then then to talk about doing deep dives, you know, Chicago had 14 albums at that point, so I was able to dive into 14 albums, live albums, greatest hits included, and all that stuff, and so, solo albums, and so I was able to do a deep dive of not just going, oh, I like one album, I get to go all the way back to 1969, 67, um, and hear all these great albums. Uh, So I think to the fact that I'm still a fan today, a lot of it is nostalgia. A lot of it is, it reminds me of, of you know, my childhood. It reminds me of my teen years. Um, and then, you know, as, as time's gone on, I, I've become friendly with the band in a way. Uh, I was lucky enough where they, they had me write the, uh, the liner notes for the most recent. Uh, they re-released Chicago Carnegie Hall, and uh, I co-wrote the liner notes, which was like, come on, man. Yeah. You know, I mean, th- this, this is, like, a, this is like, Rupert I mean, think Pupkin, about that. you know, stuff like it's, it, it, it doesn't get better than that. I mean, it really does. No. Are you, are you, what, what, wait, what the, the album that I had the posters of on my wall. I'm now the guy that wrote the stuff. Like, so I can, I look at like, I know I'm very fortunate in life that I've done some amazing things. Throwing out the first pitch at a baseball game here, uh, was a big de- for the white Sox was a big deal for me. Cause I, I'm a huge white Sox fan. And I grew up being a white Sox fan. Um, so like to be able to have these things in my life I'm very fortunate but I'm also able to will look at it from the, from the fan point of view and going are you kidding me this is the you're, you're, you're lucky this is amazing that you're able to live out these fantasies quite frankly and um, so I, I, I'm lucky I'm lucky What was the attraction to music? Because you
0: even worked in the music industry. I did. Um, So why music? Like, what was it about music that captivated you?
1: I think, well, A, my dad being in the band, I think that had a lot Mm. to do with it. I also think that my mom was huge into, you know, my mom was huge into like people like Paul Williams and uh, Helen Reddy and Jimmy Webb. And, you know, um, so that got me into the, you know, the singer songwriter thing, um, but I think being around parents that were, I didn't have an older brother. You know, a lot of people get their music from older siblings or cousins or whatever, but I got it from my parents and they listened to the stuff that I enjoyed. Um, but, I, but I think overall, Will, to answer that question, I think growing up as we do, people that are, I think most people that are comedians are a little bit of, of a misfit and maybe don't fit into um, the cliques in high school and so on. So I think, I know it's cliche, but I, I think music was an escape I was able to just go into up into my room and I didn't do drugs or anything. That wasn't my bag. It still isn't. A, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I, that wasn't, I wasn't going up there getting high and leaving the world. I would leave the world by just listening to the music and I would just lay there and look at the, look at the album covers or look at the, you know, read the lyrics and the liner notes and just get lost in the album. And, uh, and maybe even forget about, you know the the kid that knocked the books out of my hand to make fun of me for being short or for being, you know, back back then it was a it was a, a thing to say that if you're in theater you're gay and it was like they thought that was a put down. I never understood it quite frankly. I'm I'm hanging out with all the girls in the theater club. That's what I'm doing. If mm. if that, if that <laughs> makes me gay, then so be it. If I'm gay, um, it, it, it never made sense. But going into that room and putting on at the time Chicago 16 or Chicago 13 and just getting lost in it. Um, I think that's what it was and then wanting to be more around more more music and then getting a job at the record store and working at various different record stores then eventually getting a job at the record at MCA records working for a record company which I thought was the brass ring at the time I thought like well you did it you're 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 working for a record label you're hanging you're hanging you're literally hanging out with Elton John I mean you're you're at a room where Elton John is in the seat next to you, Bobby Brown, and and you you and you you just got up and got an ice cream cone together. Like it's, I I thought I'd made it, but, but still there was the void of, yeah. But you want to be a performer, you you're in this music world which you love, and you're and 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 you did it. You you made it to the to the, to the record label aspect of of it uh, that you aspired to working at a record store, and then, still though it was like, but that's you. Not what you want to do. You want to be a performer, and then that's when I really got into doing the open open mics and stuff like that. I'd done some community theater as well, that would scratch the itch, but it, it was still wanting to do stand up and wanting to be Johnny Carson and Richard Lewis and Paul Reiser, and um, and then you know I quit. I quit all that and, and, and moved on to stand up.
0: Do you, are you the sort of person when you consume music? Are you like? Are you there for a good time? Don't care what the sort of lyrics are. Are you the sort of person who's listening to a song and like, you know, kind of examining every line and what is the story of this like music? Like, I mean, obviously it's probably a whole bunch of different things, but you know, is one more than the other.
1: I think it's mostly a, to be honest, I'm yeah. just enjoying it. Um, yeah. you know, somebody will say, you know, Oh, I love that Pink Floyd song, you know, that, mm. that talks about, uh, You know, the coal miner and this, I'm like, is that what that's about? I just, I just like to, you know, (laughs) so like, uh, but at the same time there are, then there's other stuff where it's like, I know exactly what it's about and I do dive deep into the lyrics and, and that's how I immerse myself in them with singer songwriters and stuff like that. But I think overall it's, it is losing Mm. myself in the music and not having to worry about what the lyrics are and, and what statements being made.
0: So, Jimmy, I've been living in this house that well, we're doing this from today for 18 years, but I'm moving on. Oh. And uh, Wait, what? In doing, I'm doing that not in life, but just from the house. No, no, I know, but, but, but still 18 years, that's, uh,
1: that's, a, that's a long that's a, time. Yeah, that's a long time. And
0: so I've been packing up the house, and in doing so, discovered in the stairwell of the house there was a, like, hidden cupboard, like, you know, under one of the stairs. There was a little draw that you never knew about that we never knew about and that had been there the entire time uh and had been painted like and then sealed over like because it had been painted at some stage and then just lost to the mysteries that it was there in the house but it was rediscovered and inside it was a shoebox full of photographs and they were photographs of the previous owners of the house and um I think they'd been hidden away under the stairs because there was a couple of what it would have uh, by the standards of today's uh, sexting, would be very, very tame. I think a couple of topless, topless shots or whatever, but like, you know, it was their version, their era's version of, of that. So, which I imagine was why, but the rest of the photographs were just photographs of their life and they had worked in the radio industry and in doing so, had come into contact with. So the majority of the photos that I'm starting to look through is just them at events with, you know, popular Australian bands at the the time. So, you know, Cold Chisel in excess or like, you know, Midnight Oil, these sort of bands, you know, like, but, you know, faces that I recognise as an Australian aren't that particularly unusual to see, but, you know, quite interesting. And then I find a photo of my kitchen, which is like literally to just as I'm pointing out of screen here, uh, of Stevie Nicks in my kitchen <laughs> I know is that not the most random yes like like, I mean not random in that like I can see how the kid, obviously they you know Stevie Nicks came over to the house to visit them at right, some but, stage but why? Yeah, but, but why but yeah I know I've got so many questions yeah. and I have a photo of Stevie Nicks in the kitchen that still looks the same which oh. is <laughs> well you can say she came to visit you then remember here's the time that Stevie Nicks came to say hello <laughs>
1: Yes. That's what I would do. I would, I would, all of a sudden that's my photo.
0: What is it about going to see an act that you find? Because you go to a lot of concerts. I do. Like you go to see, you know, live performances of things. Like, what is it about that that you enjoy?
1: Uh, again, I think it's just getting lost in it. I think, uh, and I'm the same way with movies. I, I so much, I mean, look, again, I'm sitting the obvious, uh, but I so much prefer going to the movie theater. Um, than watching something at home, even if it's a even if it's a crappy movie, even if it's something like that's just garbage, I would rather go and watch it live. And and I'm kind of the same with with music. Like I, I just like the experience of just going and getting lost in it and just forgetting about my day and forgetting about any troubles or issues. And without getting way too therapist couchy about it, um, I think it again it goes back to childhood of a house of, of parents that at one point were were married and then got divorced. And so being around that and remembering going to the movies seemed like a safe place. and um, And listening to music seemed like a way to escape that. So I think, while I don't think that I'm not consciously going, I'm now going to go escape from what's going on. I think that's, that plays into it heavily. I think that's what it is.
0: Yeah. It's an association with the, the idea of doing it has good connotations for you yes. connotation. and escape connotations. it's
1: safety, like weird. Safe, right? Yeah. Yeah,
0: okay. So, uh, Jimmy, I asked people on this podcast, though, I pre-warned you, if they have a life philosophy of any kind. And, you know, uh, this probably seems like the most appropriate, you know, therapy couchy place to okay. ask if you do. And by the way, it can be in regard to anything, life, love, comedy, family, raising a child. I don't mind. Or And also, an appropriate answer to this conceit is to say, no, I don't. And we can talk about that instead.
1: I, I don't know if I... Oh, if I, you know, here's my life philosophy, you know, by, by my shirts. Um, I think at the end of the day, like, the first thing I thought of would ask is just be kind. I, I've certainly embraced it later in life. I know that I was that earlier. You know, my mom used to say, you know, you're a happy-go-lucky guy who was sarcastic. And you were always kind to people. And you always would, you know, would welcome the new kid would come to school. You would welcome him into the group. My mom would would remind me of these things. So I think, well, again, not con- I don't think I consciously decided that that's going to be my philosophy of life. But I think that's where it's landed. Of, um, and and I'm and again, I'm certainly embracing it as as life is as, as time goes on. Of just 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 be kind, and and I try I I try my best to do that. I'm sure some others would say. Uh, that they think differently of of my <laughs> behavior, but I think that
0: well, that, that you're isn't. also human. But but you also being kind also means being kind to yourself when you uh, inevitably, inevitably don't live up to your own standards. Well, because and, that's and, what and being and a human
1: is. I am certainly uh, guilty of not doing that, of not being kind mm-hmm. to myself. There's uh, yeah, it's not the, not enough to be kind to others. You got to be kind to yourself
0: as well, yeah, a little bit along the way. That is, uh, uh, you do. Sorry. No, no. I was going to say that you, um, you know, your family, you you speak about a lot and clearly um you know people have been able to follow the journey of like your your son like you having a son and then your son growing up you know by listening to your podcast or in the case of me having a real benjamin button experience as they actually got younger (laughs) younger and younger (laughs) as i listened backwards but (laughs) you know (laughs) suddenly listening to some stand up and you're like my son's five and i'm like no no, he's he's not not. he's like 15 or something uh, (laughs) uh,
1: uh, i'm gonna derail i I, I, i'm interested to ask uh, uh, hear what you have to ask but Uh, we just commented on that yesterday when we were doing the trivia question and and off the you know off the air or even on the air, I'll say, you know, these are written by my, you know, now sixteen year old son. And people go, Oh, okay. But when he started writing them, he was like (laughs) twelve. And it's like, my twelve year old son writes these. It's like what (laughs) what a twelve year old writes these questions? (laughs) And, yeah. and it's so it's funny that I still I still give it the same gravitas, but it's like, yeah, 16-year-old can write yeah. trivia questions, idiot.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is um, he been punished? Like, what's going
1: yeah, right, on? Why has he chosen to do that? It seems like a weird choice for a 16-year-old, but uh, he loves them. Um, Oliver loves you, doing them. Oh,
0: yeah, you talk about – you've referenced, uh, you know, the idea of, like, maybe your love of music and movies and these things being an escape from, you know, some of that, like, childhood divorce stuff. Then – were you a person that thought you would like have a, you know, a marriage, like have children, have a family? Was that still part of what you thought your life might look like?
1: Um, I think so at the end of the day. I think uh, mm. I think I probably wanted that at some point. And I mean, I certainly had enough relationships thinking that this is the one. And, you know, then, you know, oh, oh, it, oh, it's not. And, you know, the, you know, the, there's a million country songs written about, you know, wanting that person back and then thank God they didn't come back because then I found my wife. And, uh, and so, uh, I knew from this almost from the second I met Danielle, uh, that, that is what I wanted, that I wanted to, you know, uh, settle down. You know, I used to be, a, I was a drunk for many years, for most of the nineties, I was a drunk and, um, you know, meeting Danielle stopped that. And, uh, you know, I'm what, 24 years sober now. And, um, um, uh, I don't preach about it. I don't uh you know, I am not in the program, but if you go to the program, great, whatever works. Um but uh I think so. I think once I met Danielle, I certainly did. And uh and I'm very very lucky that I have her and, and Oliver and you know, we're, we're a neat little team. But we're we're a, we're a nice little family.
0: I mean, that's what it sounds like. And I mean, it's it's interesting to hear you describe that. But that idea of a team you do feel like you know, the three of you, in a way, com- like, you know, complete each other. Or 100%. There is a, so then are you scared about the fact that he is getting to the point where he, you know, I mean, like college and all these sort of things, like is that something that you are, I mean, because there's clearly so much love and joy that you all bring each other That, and, of course, you don't want to hold him back from his life and career mm-hmm. and ambitions and living his own life. But there must be part of you that is thinking about that, you know, you only have so much of this left.
1: It, um, I, I will, I will solve California's drought problem the day that he goes off to college. Yeah. Cause I will just sob and, um, it will be weird to not have him around because he is, uh, you know, I know it, it sounds lame when a dad says he's my best friend, but he, but he, but he is. And my wife is too. Like I said, we're a team. And so like, it's going to be weird to go back to just being a two person team uh, after having this guy with us for so long. And, um, you know, my hope is that he finds a college that he lives at and he goes away and he's able to live that life and find himself. But I, I would love if he could do that within two hours of here so that if at <laughs> any point we like, Hey son, let's get together for lunch. Yeah. We can do that as opposed to being across the country. Um, but uh, if he goes across the country, obviously I'll, uh, I'll support that and whatever. But I, 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 yeah, will. I don't. I don't want him to go, but he's got to go.
0: Did you have a like? philosophy to what you thought your parenting like style would be you know now that you are looking at a slightly finished product like did you did you have a philosophy about like what you wanted to put into the bucket that would become you know your child's ideas and you know ambitions and possibilities like um, was there I, or was it just I'm, we're making this up as we go? I think we're making
1: it up and just you know yeah. I just I, again this sounds so hallmark movie of the week. Um, I get, we did, you know, we just showered him with love and and not in a way of, um, everything he did was perfect. You know what I mean? Not everything was great and it wasn't, it wasn't that, um, you know, um, uh, you know, we certainly didn't, I can some somebody else might argue that we spoiled them, but, um, I, I, I don't, I don't want to say that I didn't, that I just wanted to do it differently than my parents because my parents did a pretty decent job considering what they were going through in life. My, you know, my mom was 20 when she had me, my dad was 23. They were children. They were, I mean, that's, that's a, those are, that's, those are children. And, uh, you know, so they did, they did the best they could having them divorced and then remarrying and do it. And, and they, they supported me. They showed me love. They did everything. And, And so when I say that I wanted to be different than what they did, I I don't even know what that means, but I know I wanted it to be somewhat different than, than that. I guess maybe not so much with the bickering and the yelling and all that. Maybe just not do that. And again, I'm guilty of, uh, certainly guilty of still doing it. Um, Like, I mean, clearly your son loves comedy. Yes, he does.
0: Like, you know, not, not every dad is lucky enough that, their, you know, child shares an interest. Sometimes, like, you know, the thing that your child is interested in, if you're a good – like, I mean, if you are the sort of parent who doesn't just make your child do the thing that they're interested in, you know, but – is it a, a joy to you that he finds, oh, like I, you know,
1: I, that same sort of joy in comedy? I love it. And by the way, I am very guilty of being the other parent. He has gone to more classic rock shows. He, does, he doesn't want to see Foreigner. You know what I mean? But I, I bring him. You know, we'll, hey, dude, we'll, yeah, we'll get, you love sticks. They are like three songs. No, that's... Uh, yeah. That's a bad example. He actually likes this, but um, I love, and I've said this on the show, Will, and I'll say it again. I love not only that, that he loves comedy and that we can share in comedy, both and all three of us, like, again with my wife included. Um, I love that he that he likes good comedy. I'm very mm-hmm. lucky that he understands the difference between <laughs> a good comic and a not good comic. I've never had to lie to him when he goes, "Dad, I just watched so and so special and it's great," and you just go, yeah. "Oh, great, son, good for you." And uh, it's always, <laughs> "Hey, I just watched John Mulaney, he's terrific. I just watched Nate Bargatze, he's terrific." I'm like, "He's right. Yeah. These are all great. These are great he's comedians." Right. And he's, yeah. uh, you know, I, uh, you know Kathleen Madigan. Um, Paula Poundstone, uh, we, we went to see her live and, you know, he got it. He was very young when we took him to see Paula, but, um, very grateful. And, uh, I'm glad, I'm, honestly, I'm just glad he finds my stupidity funny, you know, that he can laugh at my junk.
0: That, yeah, that's really, uh, look, Jimmy, I've got, so uh, I'm aware of time and I've got a few more questions that well, you, are standard. So I'm going to ask them plenty
1: of time. Um, We're good.
0: Okay. Uh, so firstly, what, what do you think happens when you die? Do you ever a, like a theory like that you well, live your life by? Is there, uh,
1: you mean what's going to happen here on earth? Like how are they going to celebrate my life or do, like what, what happens oh, to me?
0: You know what I like is that like no one has ever looked at it at that point of view. Like in 300 episodes, Wait, you're the first person who's ever, everyone, every single other person just immediately leaps to, like what happens to you when you die? Like every single other person I've asked that question has immediately answered what they believe, either, you know, nothing or heaven or whatever, you know, whatever their belief system is. You are the first person in 300 episodes who are like, you mean to everyone else? And I was like, oh, yeah, that is a good perspective. Um, It's interesting that you thought about that first. Well, they're going to be devastated. That's either really generous
1: Uh, or, (laughs) you know, yeah. Yeah. Really Engo-self- self-involved.
0: Involved. Yeah, like, <laughs> Will they feel the Jimmy Pardo side style <laughs> in their life? Exactly.
1: <laughs> like, it, it's, it's, it's close to having my own funeral before I die. So I can see how they react. <laughs> um, it, um, or you're right. Or I'm very generous. Like how will they, how will it affect yeah. life? with would be gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. but all right. So to answer it the way that everybody else has, uh, I grew up Catholic. Yeah. So I, you know, it was hmm. heaven was ingrained in me. Uh, that said it's like it's, as i've gotten older i i don't i don't know so i would imagine nothing but i don't want to say that and i have a chance my dad listens to this and then if he if he is listening uh, we go to heaven
0: yeah i mean every if i'm happy for like i obviously none of us know the answer of course. so that's the first thing and if and if believing something gives someone comfort i don't want to take that away 100%. from them i'm interested in um, what you think the meaning of life is. I know that's a big question and I don't mean you to, to uh, but like what gives your life meaning to you, Jimmy Pardo, when you oh. think about this is my life and how it is lived, what is it that gives it meaning?
1: Well, again, the, you know, my family and, and uh, yeah. what gives it meaning? I guess, um, yeah. Like, just, I mean, but I mean, even family,
0: like the family don't give it meaning. Like Real you right. give
1: your life some
0: meaning that the family, um, uh, I yeah. think what is
1: that? I, I think honestly, the ability to bring joy to others. I think that's really it, yeah. right. I think that that is, at the end of the day, uh, again, a little sappy, but uh, I think that's what it is. Sappy's okay. I mean, firstly,
0: this is episode 300. There's been plenty of laughs as well, so a little sappy's okay. But I feel I like i right.
1: lean towards the sappy more than I have the the funny uh, with your ans- with my answers. Uh, you know so- what?
0: There's a, like I mean, also this is the podcast for that. People can mm. go and listen to never not funny and he you be hilarious I'll be a clown for over like there. thousands of hours. All right, fair. <laughs> you fair. know. So <laughs> it is absolutely fine. But I think you're right. Like I mean, you you it's painted throughout your life when you talk about these things, you always frame them through. I like that. I can laugh with my child. I like that. My wife and I had the, but I like this, but yeah, these moments seem pivotal and they always seem rooted to, and this was funny or right. this brought joy, or this was about experiencing joy. It yeah. is the pal It's the paint palette. You know, it's the color that you use most is joy. And I think it's intrinsic to who you are And it. It's through your work. And I think it's also why there's a still a level of mean, like, old school mean spiritness, you know, that Don Rickles style, like, you know, humor, but because you know that it's about joy, you know, that's what balances it. So and differentiates it from that other style of comedy, right? Is that this is all actually about having fun. And if part of the fun is on the way, hanging some shit on someone as us Australians would say, uh, then that is, yes, um, you know, part of the joy and the fun. So, Um, Jimmy, has there ever been a great piece of advice or a really terrible piece of advice that has stuck with you? I don't mind which of the two, although I do prefer if you remember a really terrible piece of advice. Well, I mean, the terrible piece of
1: advice, uh, (laughs) came from David Feldman, the great comedian and writer, David Feldman. Um, and and, and this is going to fly in the face of something I said earlier, but again, the, the, the time that I was living in is why this was a horrible piece of advice. Uh, he's like, he did say to me, you know, you're like a throwback comedian. You should wear a tuxedo on stage. And I was like, yeah, he's right. I should wear a tuxedo on stage. And so I went out and got a tuxedo and I started wearing a tuxedo on stage with, you know, uh, you know, with the the, the tuxedo pants and, and just a, and a crisp white shirt. And then with the bow tie untied, like, like, like I just gotten done doing it Mm -hmm. with the band. And now I can relax kind of a vibe in the tuxedo. And, um, it worked a little bit around town, you know, going up in the tuxedo. You know, it was, I hated putting a costume on, certainly, but right. um, it worked around town. But then I would, like, when I go on the road and I'd be, like, in Appleton, Wisconsin, where's your belt? And uh, I would, you know, it, you know uh, it's a tuxedo, sir. Um, or, you know, people like like, why, 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 why don't you tie the tie? Like, it just, it, it, it didn't work. And it was, yeah. uh, and I felt, and, and I did, and, and by the way, you talk about bombing, mm. try bombing, wearing a, a tuxedo, wearing a costume. Yeah. And you got to just still be up there mm. doing your shtick. And you can't even just like, I mean, it yeah. was. Uh,
0: you can't slink off and blend you sl- in.
1: You, you look like a jackass. You look <laughs> like a guy who really cared. Yeah. And then now it's not going well. And then, oh. So I then was talking to the very funny Todd Glass, and Doug Glass said, I'm so mad you wore a tuxedo because I was going to start wearing a tuxedo. David Feldman told me I yes, should wear a tuxedo. I was like, oh wait, God. what? I go, I'm wearing a tuxedo because David Feldman told me to wear a tuxedo. Feldman's got one piece of advice. That's
0: his piece of advice. <laughs> Feldman's got a share in a tuxedo. Company. He's, got a look, he's got a
1: cut of, of uh, Tom's tuxes. Um, it, uh, but I was the dummy that did it. You know what I mean? Like that. So, uh, but uh, like, look, is it horrible? But it, see, is but it again,
0: war- right. nowadays, this is that between two times, right? Because nowadays, if you were doing that, like, <gasps> you know, it's got that kind of Paul F. Tompkins kind of yes. vibe of like, you're like, no, this is the bit and it would be hip, you know, there 100%. would be a hundred percent, right? Yes. Because it is smart and it is elevated and it is old school, but it's new school. Like it's not, you're not telling old school jokes that, you know, wouldn't be appropriate by today's standards. You're like play, you're reinterpreting you know that form, yes. right? It's a modern take on a classic, right? And so you you're know, saying I would, should
1: bring the tux back. That's what that's you're
0: saying. What I, Feldman's been emailing me during this interview, and he says,
1: <laughs> "Bring up the tux,
0: <laughs> just at some stage, if you can mention the tux." <laughs> I uh,
1: I told that story once. I was I was hosting it at Largo here in Los Angeles, and David was on the show, and I told that story before I brought David up. And I said, this guy gave me the worst advice in the world. I told the whole story. And uh, he then laughed like crazy. And then maybe three years later, I hadn't seen him in years. Yeah. Three years later, I'm doing a, we're doing a show, and he has his son with him. And his son comes up to me and goes, you ever thought about wearing a tux? And it was, <laughs> right?
0: Gorgeous. I mean, gorgeous. That's good. That's a good life. Bit. Uh,
1: the best advice I was given uh, also has to do with comedy. And it, yep. Because the two I can think of immediately are, are yep. about comedy and what we do for a living in our lives. Really um, was Larry Wilmore, the great Larry Wilmore who mm-hmm. has gone on to produce and, and write on a, a zillion sitcoms. Um, I was doing, and this goes back to crowd work. This goes back to what we were talking about, Will about, about punching down and finding it. I was doing a show with him in Indianapolis And maybe killing some shows and then other shows struggling. And after one of them, he said, uh, you know, not everybody in the audience is dumb. (laughs) And I was like, Jesus Christ, that is, that is the greatest sentence ever said to a guy that is young, who knows he's good at doing crowd work that knows he's good at improvising off the top of his head. Uh, you, you you don't have to punch like, basically what he was saying is you don't have to punch down you're, yeah. you're better, you're, you're funnier you're more clever than that, you don't need to to rely on that and um, that changed everything for me, that one line changed everything And um, or at least, re- at least reminded me of that because uh, I know I was not that I, I know I wasn't punching down as an open Um but and maybe I was punching down that night because I was not doing well and it was like well I'm going to get a laugh making fun of this guy or whatever, I don't know but It did, it did change the way that I, that I handled doing crowd work and, and would only put somebody down then if they did deserve it, if they were heckling or if they were being disruptive or if they were ruining the show or maybe they ruined the show for the comic that was up before me, I would go up and, and slam that person. Um, But otherwise it was like, yeah, right. They, they came here. Why, why, why put them down? So that that's for me comedically was the best piece of advice I was given. It makes a lot of
0: sense, yeah. right? But it's also that thing of I think often, uh, you know, you see it these days, you see a comedian make a compromise on stage to include someone they don't really want in their audience and in doing so exclude somebody that they'd actually really love in their audience. You know, the the person they're aspiring to perform to who actually gets the jokes they want to tell, they rule out by trying to include someone who was never going to – and not, that's not even a judgement on, you know, but – like, you've got to make sure you know who it is that you're meant to be pitching the jokes to like i got a great piece of advice early on in my career from a tonight show host in australia he was doing uh, a show called in melbourne tonight and um uh, it was very mainstream this and i was a young comedian and they'd booked me for the show and so he rang me beforehand and i was talking to him about the the show and he said this is how we'll get get it to go he said come out beforehand, you can say hello to the audience, Um, I'll give you, you you can do a couple more of your more risque jokes to the studio audience, obviously you have to work very clean on TV, he said, but don't do generic material, do material that is your material, because you're not pitching to everyone right now, Like, you're just pitching to that one kid in the corner of their parents who is watching this with their parents or whatever that you want to be talking to, right? Like, you need them to like it. And that's actually your audience. If these old middle aged people come and see you as a young comedian, they're not going to like it. They're not going to understand any of the things you're talking about or the way that you talk about them. But that kid in the corner of the room, that's who you're trying to get to come to see your show. That's the person who's going to grow up, you know, watching you and enjoying you. So don't sacrifice that kid in the corner of the room right. to try to impress these everybody people who else. would hate your show if they came in the first place. Yeah. And it was such a, I mean, I don't know if it was something he said to everybody or, or like who told him that thing, but it was such a good piece of advice.
1: I wish and it that seemed somebody like would like a said similar, that.
0: You know, ah,
1: love it. And what was that gentleman's
0: name? Uh, Frankie J Holden is his uh, stage name. Frankie J Holden. Um, and uh, so, so, Jimmy, you worked, like, yes, on a very famous talk. Well, you've worked with uh, Conan O'Brien. And uh, I saw you when it was the Tonight Show period. But uh, you were doing, like, audience work. But also, yeah, what what was it like working on such a, like, iconic show, but also, you know, during a very iconic time for you know shows like that and uh you know there was so much attention around those shows and those shows were it was kind of we didn't know it at the time but it was in a way the last great era of there being yes you know a few big tonight shows you know there would be a lot more but they would be much more the audiences would never you know kind of be the same as they were you know that era of television was actually you know, ending in a way, or at least, you know, the industry was, you know, changing substantially. Do you, what was it like to be just involved in that and in the middle of that?
1: Uh, well, again, you know, another version of a dream come true, um, uh, you know, growing up, idolizing Johnny Carson, wanting to be on the tonight show one day, wanting to host the tonight show one day, you know, the dreams we all have as comedians. And, um, and then, so to get the call to say, Hey, you know, Conan, the, they want you to do the warm, they want you to be the warm up comic. And you know, initially I was like, I, 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 I'm not a warm up. I don't do that. I don't I don't throw candy out. I don't have people do a dance off. I don't do any of that that warm ups generally do here. They're more, you know, hype men than they are comedians. And um. and then when I met with them, they said, yeah, we don't want the hype man. We want you. We want you to be Jimmy Pardo. We want you to be funny uh, for whatever time you got to be out there. You know, whether it's some nights it'll be eight minutes, some nights it might be 22, I think the longest I ever had to do was like 42 because some tech issue, but you know, it's what you and I do. So 42 minutes is nothing. Um, and so being on the tonight show stage, I was still finding my footing as a, as a up. and, and it was, the stage was humongous and the, the studio was way too big for a tonight show. I, I'm sorry for a talk show. Mm. Um, and you know, it, it, it didn't have the intimacy that a talk show is yeah. that it needs in my opinion. Um, but at the same time it was like look at the size of this stage that I'm you know, like, all of it was was just just again a dream come true. Um, and then the whole thing happened with you know with Leno getting the show back and and Conan having to you know to basically you know, walk away. Uh, being part of that was really bizarre to be part of that iconic moment of oh the other guy wants the job back he's gonna take and and then you know when I got the job, a friend of mine said, This is the Tonight Show. You're going to have a job for the rest of your life. This is, you know, if it goes well, I mean, you're you're, you're set. And then nine months later, we weren't. And um, so that part was weird. And then to work with, then to move over to TBS and work with Conan on Conan and not the Tonight Show, you could just sense the vibe was different. It was looser. It was more relaxed. It was uh, obviously less pressure from the brass uh on him to fill those shoes of Jay Leno who filled the shoes of Johnny Carson and now he just gets to be Conan um I was I'm to this day honored to have been a part of it and honored that that Conan and Jeff Ross the executive producer recognized to your point of earlier about why isn't this guy bigger they recognized that and they gave me the forum to um you know not only just be the warm up guy they realized this guy's this gets funnier than that let's Let's let him do remotes. Um, I became a regular guest in addition to being, you know, I would go out some nights, I would do warm up and go, and the guests tonight are, you know, Marissa Tomei and me. And, (laughs) you know, that's, that's craziness. And so, and then I got to fill in for Andy Richter for a couple of shows when he had to miss some shows. So I was very grateful that they recognized that I was funny uh, as opposed to just being a warm-up guy. So I, I got, uh, I was surrounded by the funniest people in the world. I got to work with the funniest people in the world. Um, and when I eventually left to do my own show on science channel here, uh, in the States that sadly only lasted eight episodes, um, uh, you know, it was sad to leave. And, uh, but I went back and I did their final eight shows. Uh, they called me up and said, you know, we let, let we want to, Conan wants to end this the way it started. Uh, you come and do the final eight shows and, you're damn right. I'm going to come out and do those final eight shows. I'm, you know, I was basically, you know, every time the phone rang, is this them? Are they call for the final no. eight. <laughs> um, uh, it, it was, I was, I was so honored to, to be part of that thing and, and, and for him to recognize the the funny and, and, you know, become a friend and and be part of that world. It was great.
0: Was there one moment of that experience that, you know, sticks in your mind? Was there something that in particular, like you know, getting to meet a you know, guest or well, a moment mean, or of your own experience, or just uh, oh my you know. God.
1: Well, I mean, uh, I was just talking to my son about this. About uh, I, you know, I, you know, I got to spend time with Mel Brooks, and you know, it was very short. It was you know, probably five minutes at the most. But again, if you know, I had a young Frankenstein poster on my wall, and here I am talking comedy with mm. Mel Brooks, and talking to him, and him talking to me like we're peers. And not not that I'm a fan. And I went into his dressing room like a fan. And then all of a sudden, we're talking comedy. And then we had we had a mutual friend in a guy named Lee Delano, who is a character actor that Mel used quite a bit. And he was a friend of my in-laws. And so I said, uh, oh, by the way, we have a mutual friend in Lee Delano. And then that changed. That, that It already... He wasn't talking to me like a fan. He was talking to me like a peer. And then bringing up the fact that we have this mutual friend in this odd character actor named Lee Delano you saw the gear shift to a different level of, oh, Jimmy Pardo! And all of a sudden he's, you know, uh, being even more Mel brooks with me and being more of a friend. Yeah. And and when he left, he, so he leaves and uh, as, he's, as he's walking out the door, he yells, Pardo! <laughs> and everybody comes running over like, what was that about? I go, that was just Mel Brooks being a jackass. That's what that was about. And that, so that's cool. I got to improvise with Martin Short and Tom Hanks. Um, I got to talk comedy and jokes with Carl Reiner. Um, things that would not have happened had I not worked at Conan. So th- those all stand out will. There's no question those are it. But the one that really was, and I've already alluded to it, was when I was I was coming back, I forget where I was at, and I was in the car, and I got a call from Mike Sweeney, the head writer, and said, um, hey, we just had a meeting. Um... Andy has to miss a few shows. Kona wants you to co-host those, those shows. And I just was like, are you, thank you. You know what I mean? Like that's, uh, it was just amazing. And then to hear from other people the the meetings that were done to like, well, the ESPYs are in town. Maybe we could get, um, you know, um, uh, uh, LeBron James or at the time, Kobe, I think Kobe was alive. You know, get somebody like that to do it. That'll be fun to get a, you know, a, a, a big athlete to do it. Or maybe we can get a famous actor. And Conan was like, I guess he, Conan was like, no, I think it's got to be Jimmy Pardo. And so that phone call was the one um, that, that the, the moment that stands out the most. In addition to those other wonderful moments.
0: I mean, it, it says a lot. It honestly does. It's, you know, it couldn't be a higher compliment uh, because. Yes. Because somebody has to go to bat for you. In that situation, there's no doubt that, like, there's other people going, yeah, we could easily get this person, this person, this person, this person, you know, or at least, even if we're going to get a comedian, there's a bunch of hip young next generation right. people that'd be great for our demos if we could really like you know maybe we can have a panel for the week and we'll get a whole bunch of like the hottest hippest you know people through to sit on the end and like you know you know that like when a show like that 100 someone's having those conversations yeah. and if they're not having those conversations they're not doing their job probably. so right. it means that someone goes to bat for you because they believe in you yeah. that much to step up into that position and also I imagine for someone like a Conan when the whole point of having like a sidekick a co-host is that it gives them some comfort and someone to work with and they they've said well this is who I'd prefer I will be at my best right if Jimmy Pardo is sitting in in that seat and yeah yeah, it's an it's an incredible comfort like compliment when you think about it like that isn't it it's and, yep. I, and, I and also Conan O'Brien invented podcasting and you've done well out of podcasting. So <laughs> that's two he's, things that he has done for you. Done, he's so, been very
1: kind in that he invented this forum kind. for me to uh, succeed yes. in.
0: That's uh, very good. Uh, Jimmy Pardo, your podcast is called Never Not Funny. Yes. It is. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend that people, oh God, if you. you enjoy it, please subscribe to it because there is so much extra content and the uh, it's so it's it's actually made us raise the bar on what we're going to provide our extra content because you know the level of particularly i just think that the episodes that are available for the people who subscribe are equally as good if not better sometimes than the episodes that are in the main feed Mm. there is no sense of this is a diminished product yep. because of where it exists. And in fact, sometimes, you know, I mean, well, there's no way to discern is actually the truth. Like, you know, it's just that they all are great, you know? And so I I think it's, it's something that we're going to work towards even on our own show is like making sure that that bonus content that we offer is of the same standard to the stuff that's on the regular feed. I think it's, well, it's fantastic. You
1: know what, well, it, it, it I, I said this actually recently to somebody of, Cause sometimes a guest will be like, Oh, I'm on, I'm on the, I'm at the children's table. I'm not, I don't get to do the free feed. I I, I'm on the, I'm a bonus episode. It's like, these are the people that pay for this. They're the people that really care about this show. So it's kind of an honor that I I want you to be on a show that is exclusive to the people that, that pay me money to listen to this. So. Uh, Oh yeah.
0: I would, my argument for that is always, you know, if you were going to say that thing to someone, I was like, yes, if you're you've got a project to plug or whatever it might be there's more people listening to the free feed, but guess what? These people are ticket buyers. They're the ones. Like these are the ones who will sign up to a thing. 100% (laughs) talking to the, we've got rid of the people who won't pay for something they enjoy. Right. They're not paying for this thing. They listen to all the time that they enjoy. So they're not paying for your thing, Larry. Like I just (laughs) picked the name, Larry. That wasn't about a Larry in particular. I think it was about Larry Mullins Jr. (laughs) I think you're still mad at that t-shirt of his. I mean, maybe I am. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh anyway, it's a great podcast. Thank I, I thank I'm you so much for me, coming on Later. to do this. I have a couple more questions and then we're okay. done. If you could just wake up uh tomorrow, you don't have to do your 10,000 hours on this. You just wake up and you have this ability. It can be any sort of ability, you know, language, music, but like anything. Oh, you can be as cre- creative, creative as you want. I, I but would. like I, I'll answer. Yeah. I, could, I wish
1: I could play guitar. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. just it. If I could wake up tomorrow and be able to walk into guitar center and pick up a guitar like those guys yeah. do and just start playing, boy, do I wish I could do that. And I know that's, yeah. it's, it's, I'm glad you said musical. That's it. Done. Because I yeah. can't play music. I can't do any musical thing. I, I wish I could.
0: You just never had the sense, because you love it, and but you just never had the sense for making it? I've or tried. Just,
1: I've tried to, yeah. you know, I've got guitars here at the house to, to collect dust. I got a bass within arm's reach of me that basically is a decoration. Um, Mm. I wish I could, man. I just, uh, I I don't know why my fingers won't do what my brain tells them to do.
0: Well, I mean, sometimes like, you know, you can appreciate something without having to do it. And I think often, you know, with comedy, I got into comedy because I loved comedy, but being a professional comedian also takes away part of the joy of loving comedy, right? So to dedicate something as your life, you have to take away that little bit that you can just be as just purely being a fan of something. Yeah, right. Like, right. And so sometimes it's nice to just purely be a fan of something. I, you know, I that's actually a uh, rationale reframing of that. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> thank you thank you for
1: that. I still stand by, I wish I could wake up tomorrow and play guitar. I hear what you said, I mean, but it's yes. very cool. I
0: understand what you're saying. Yeah. Oh no. Uh, so, okay. Two more. I, I used to on my desk have a little, um you know, it was as close as I had to an inspirational saying to remind me of something. And it it asked me the question, what would you attempt if you knew you could not fail? And for me, that was just to remind me that I shouldn't be thinking about the outcome of a thing before I started on it, you know, like that I should, but if success was guaranteed, you know, so I ask you this more hypothetically, if success was guaranteed, what was the, what is the thing that you would attempt?
1: completely away from show business or life or yeah. anything. It just skydiving. I would, I, yeah. I would, if you told me guaranteed, you could jump out mm-hmm. and you will land and not, and you will not die. And you don't, not for one second falling from the plane. Will you be like, Oh God, I'm going to die. It would be that. I, yeah. I, I, Cause I would, I would love to skydive, but I do I will never have the, the guts to do it because I, I, I would be in fear. I wouldn't enjoy it. I'd be in fear the entire time I was doing it. I, I know that's part, part, part of the thrill, but, uh, that's it. That's my answer. It's a good answer. No, I
0: like that answer. But I will say that I, in my personal experience, I've skydived three times. And by the third time, I wasn't afraid that I was going to die anymore, and it did take away some of the thrill of Did it really? Like, I'm like, this is a good view, but is it really worth all this fuss for just uh, this view? Okay. I actually think that, like, the whole thinking I was going to die was actually part of the thrill. I, all
1: right. I, yeah. I guess that's the same as a roller coaster or whatever you're on. Like, if, yeah. if you just get so compl- j- jaded about roller coasters, yeah. you won't. Yeah. yeah,
0: I hear it. It's just an uncomfortable ride, after all, Yeah. I <laughs>
1: 100 percent
0: so uh last uh question yes sir if uh it's a time machine question if you had a time machine you could do a round trip uh so to the future or the past visit yourself or not i don't mind no rules of time travel or continuity apply you have no social responsibilities you don't have to go back and Kill Kill Hitler Hitler on behalf of, uh, unless your particular passion is to kill Hitler. In fact, I would not deny it. I'm not here to say you can't give it a go, but let's just assume that this is just hypothetical for your own sake. Don't have to do something good for humanity. Just where would you like to go in a time? I
1: would, uh, I will uh, use what you said. I will will revisit, I will visit myself and just say, um, trust yourself, be yourself.
0: And, don't wear a tuxedo. And, and for the love of God,
1: <laughs> whatever. Don't wear a tuxedo. Whatever
0: anyone tells you. <laughs> do not, do not but, wear a tuxedo. Uh,
1: <laughs> just, just believe believe in yourself more. Don't second guess everything. You know, uh, because you know, starting in this business and uh and even being, you know, being a parent or whatever, just don't set don't second guess everything. I wish I can go back and, and tell young Jimmy Pardo, young James R. Pardo Jr. That, uh, and certainly when it comes to stand up, of just be yourself, man, just be your trust that you're funny and, and be there. Don't, don't, because what you said earlier really resonated Will, because I did spend part of my early years trying to make the people that will never think I'm funny, funny, as opposed to being, you know, making the three people in the back go, who the fuck is this guy? You know, uh, they walked away going, that guy sucked. And the other people went, yeah, he was okay. I wish I would have stuck to my guns more and been just more weird and unique like I was when I was an open micer. That, that it would comes
0: it. it. It comes up a, a lot, like as a theme on this podcast. Is, you know, it's that, it, it, that idea of the, you know, the... I don't know whose piece of advice it was originally. I've heard it quoted in a whole bunch of people's mouths. I'm going to go Albert Einstein. No, it was uh, uh, Martin Luther King said once. Uh, You've got to get two thousand super fans. <laughs> No, so was that King? But yeah, I think it was King. <sighs> I think it was Martin Luther King. Uh, so, but the idea being that you know, if you could get two thousand people to spend fifty dollars a year on you, that's that's the good start to anything that you're trying to build, right? And you know, all that is is a podcast subscription and a T-shirt every year. You know, like it's not a lot to spend. It's a ticket these days, right? And so we spend so much time looking for the two million or twenty million or two billion when, and ignoring the two thousand who would who who would like us for who we are, and you know would support us and would follow our career. And that's why I hope that you know. you know we're going to hear never not funny for a very long time thank you so much for doing this jimmy it's been right honestly through. a great a great pleasure and a great honor to have you on for this episode i hope that people who have not checked out never not funny you yeah, know dive in dive in with the new episodes work your way backwards yeah. get to love but, everyone but first. please forgive us forgive us all <laughs> our mistakes yes it's it's a positive story of growth um, it really is. jimmy thank you so much for doing this thank show. you for having me